We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything. Lakers, this is the LakersNation.com podcast. As you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, this is a solo show, just me, but I've got a lot to break down. We are going to talk a little bit about Lakers versus Jazz to close things out before the All-Star break, what the Lakers need to do to get a win tonight. But I also need to talk about a few news stories that are going on. Are the Lakers actually going to keep this team Next year, this is something that's been talked about recently, a few other topics that we have to get into, and I've got a couple of things to close out the show, maybe get a little bit sentimental, because sometimes that's what I do. But to start things off, I've got a strange stat for you, and strange, maybe a little bit sad, maybe a little bit frustrating, but check this out. So the Lakers, as of right now, they are dead last in the NBA in distance traveled per game in terms of the amount of space that they travel through over on the basketball court is last in the NBA. Everybody else travels more over the course of the game than the Lakers do. Now, this is happening despite being fourth in pace. So you would think when you are playing at a very fast pace, that creates more possession and therefore more movement during the game. Again, not so. For your Los Angeles Lakers, everybody else actually moves around on the court more than the Lakers do. They're also last in average speed, which I guess makes sense. If you're not going that fast, then you aren't covering much ground. Now, we've talked about the Lakers being an older team, but I also think that this ties into the Lakers offense. I've seen so many fans who have complained that the Lakers offense looks stagnant, and these stats certainly back that up. In fact, they are 18th in the NBA in defensive distance traveled. So what that means is that on the defensive end of the floor, they actually do move around quite a bit. And you think about them closing out to shooters and things of that nature. It's on offense that they are dead last and they're last by enough to make them dead last overall in the NBA in terms of distance traveled per game. So the offense is so stagnant that it's pulling down a middle of the pack defense distance traveled and making them last in the NBA in terms of total distance travel. So you think about the offense, you think the ball going to LeBron James, sticking there, players around him just getting planted in their spots, no off-ball movement, 
this is a sign that this is not just, hey, we're so focused on the Lakers, maybe other teams do this too. No, this offensive stagnation is almost a uniquely Lakers thing and something that we would certainly like to see addressed for the future. However, it's not uncommon over the past few years. In fact, we've seen a lot of stagnant offense from the Lakers over the past few seasons. They've consistently ranked near the bottom of the NBA in terms of distance traveled per game. Now, for most of these last few seasons, it hasn't mattered. Last season, they were really good until injuries hit them. The season before that, they won an NBA championship. So this doesn't necessarily make an impact on winning, but I think it does back up that the offensive stagnation that we've seen from the Lakers, which could potentially be concerning, is a real thing. The stats are backing up what the eye test shows. Now, speaking of that, this Lakers team, are we going to see this team again next year? Well, now most of us would say, no, no, please God, no, Michael Scott style. We would not expect to see this team back next year. And of course, of course, that's true. It's not going to look the same. They have too many players on expiring contracts for this team to fully come back next year. Well, I suppose if they really wanted to sign all these guys back to veteran minimum deals, they could. But they have so many guys who are going to be hitting free agency that it would be just about impossible to bring back this group next year. However, will the core of this group be back? And by core, you know what I'm talking about. LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Well, yeah, they'll probably be back. But what about Russell Westbrook? Will he be back? On Brian Windhorst's podcast, The Hoop Collective, Ramona Shelburne and Dave McMenamin were on there, and I did a video for LakersNation.com yesterday about a potential trade that they had on the table involving Christian Wood, John Wall, uh, and the Lakers sending out Russell Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, a first-round pick. A little bit foggy on whether or not those were the exact pieces in the deal. If they were, I'm on the side of you do that. Why didn't you do that, Lakers? Well, Ramona Shelburne also mentioned this, and I feel like this quote is something that we need to get into if this is truly the mindset of the Lakers front office moving forward, because I'll be honest, it worries me a little bit. Here's what she said. The Lakers organization, from ownership on down, decided, you guys got yourselves into this. This is the bed you made. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight. This was your choice of roster. Go make it work. We are not going to mortgage our future in terms of draft picks or taking on luxury tax now because this team isn't working yet. Go make it work. Now, that's interesting. If that was the mindset of the Lakers front office, and again, this is coming from Ramona Shelburne, saying that this was kind of the message that was being sent and how it's the opposite of what we've seen historically from LeBron James-led teams. Typically, LeBron James says something like, we don't think we're on this tier. I don't think we can get to this tier, which he said after the Lakers lost to the Milwaukee Bucks. Typically, LeBron's team would go and do something, would go and make something happen, would make some sort of a move. Well, the Lakers did not do that. The Lakers instead did nothing at the trade deadline. Now, I've talked all about this, that there were a lot of teams out there that were trying to fleece the Lakers, doing everything they could to prey upon the Lakers' desperation. And of course they are. Of course they are. That's exactly what NBA teams should be doing. There's not a team out there that's looking at the Lakers and saying, oh, poor Lakers, let me, here, let me help you. Here's good players. Give me whatever you want back. No, nobody's going to say anything like that to the Los Angeles Lakers. So of course they're gonna to try to fleece them. And I think it's very possible that there just weren't very many workable deals out there. Now, again, if that Houston deal was on the table, then my goodness, you take that and you run away quickly, phone it in immediately, get it done. 
I would have done that trade for sure. And I think the other one, the uh, the three-team trade was interesting. The one with the Knicks, the one with the Raptors that would have brought in Cam Reddish, Alec Burks. That's an interesting trade as well. But other than those, which look, a lot of trades fall apart for a lot of reasons. I can't say that the Lakers had much on the table in terms of real deals that would work for them. But this is also Ramona Shelburne suggesting that the Lakers, as an organization, weren't too keen on doing whatever it would take to upgrade this roster right now. Instead, flipping it around, saying, look, LeBron, AD, you guys wanted this. You guys wanted Russ. You figure it out. You figure it out, and you get this done. You told us this could work, right? LeBron, AD, Russ, they all met. They discussed how everything was going to work. We heard all about that. And they met with other players too. They met with DeMar DeRozan, right? They met with a lot of guys. They met with Damian Lillard, but they met with Russ and they discussed what was going to work. And the last minute, they pulled the plug on a Buddy Heald trade that was all set. The Kings thought it was done. Buddy Heald thought he was a Laker. Kyle Kuzma thought he was going to the Sacramento Kings. Trez was going to go there too. Montrezl Harrell was going to be a Sacramento King. That was the deal. Montrezl Harrell, Kyle Kuzma for Buddy Heald. That was going to be the Lakers trade. Last second, they pull the plug on that and they go get Russell Westbrook because he had the backing of these guys. LeBron, AD, they were convinced this was going to work. And so perhaps the trade deadline was the Lakers telling him, look, you guys have played what? 16, 17, whatever. However many games we're at right now. I think it's 17 games together. Hasn't looked great. But you guys said this would work. You guys go figure it out. And if that is the mindset of the Lakers right now, and that doesn't change by the offseason, are we staring into a future where Russell Westbrook is in a Lakers jersey next year? And I know that's terrifying for a lot of Lakers fans because it has not gone according to plan. Now, I will say Russell Westbrook looked much better in the last game the Lakers played against the Golden State Warriors. In fact, he looked so good that he actually won the 360 award on our LakersNation.com postgame show. He was better than LeBron, better than AD. Now, does that mean that's what we're going to get out of Russ every single night? No. But still, the hope for the Lakers has to be right now that LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook can figure out some way to make it work. Now, if they do, does that mean... Russell Westbrook is in purple and gold next year. If the Lakers have this stance of you guys put yourself into this mess, you guys dig yourselves out. It's almost like a parent right here saying, nope, finally, I'm not going to help you out here. You guys said you could do this. Go do it. If that's the case, will the Lakers be willing to attach enough to Russell Westbrook to get him off the roster this offseason? And if not, there's going to be a domino effect. We talk about Malik Monk. Lakers fans are crazy about Malik Monk. He's been really good this season. He's been great. He's been an incredible find on a veteran minimum contract. How are you going to bring him back? How do you bring back Malik Monk when all you have to offer is the taxpayer mid-level exception going to be right around $6 million? There's going to be a lot of teams out there that are going to be able to offer a full mid-level exception. Even though there's not a ton of cap space next, next offseason, there's still going to be teams that will be willing to give Malik Monk their full mid-level exception starting somewhere around 11-ish million dollars. It's going to be hard for the Lakers to compete unless they can find a taker for Russell Westbrook so they can clear up some space and feel comfortable using that full mid-level exception themselves. Or if they can just take Russ and turn him into some other stuff and find something that does fit. But if they're not willing to attach anything to Russell Westbrook, I find it hard to believe, even with an expiring $47 million contract, that any team would really want to take on 
Russell Westbrook just for a season and pay him $47 million to do that. What are the Lakers going to have to take back if they're not willing to attach stuff to Russell Westbrook in order to move him? Now, could this be a ploy by the Lakers? Could this be the Lakers saying, hey, look, we can't trade Russ right now because teams want a decent amount. Now, Ramona Shelburne did mention that the price for trading Russell Westbrook away in terms of a John Wall deal probably wasn't quite as high as some people are thinking. But if you're trading him anywhere else, if you're trying to free up some room to get flexibility, uh, John Hollinger recently brought up the possibility of sending him back to Oklahoma City in a trade for like a Derek Favors. You attach a first, get OKC to eat some of that salary. Okay, if you're going to try to do something like that, what you need is you need to not be nearly as desperate. So the Lakers, right now, telling LeBron, telling AD, telling Russ, you guys figure it out, you make it work. What they've got to see is Russell Westbrook fitting in. Whether they decide to keep him long-term or not, and by long-term, I mean just next season, whether they expect him to be in uniform next season or not, what the Lakers need, both right now, in terms of winning basketball games, which is kind of important given the fact that they're sitting in the ninth seed, they're chasing the Clippers, who just lost, by the way, to the Phoenix Suns. Thank you, Phoenix, for doing what the Warriors did not do last night. The Warriors lost to the Clippers. My goodness, Warriors, come on. But in any event, the Lakers need to find a way to get the best out of Russell Westbrook right now so that at the very least, you're winning games and during the offseason, you aren't nearly as desperate if this thing continues to sputter if you can't get a solid performance out of russell westbrook down the stretch teams are going to be looking at the lakers saying oh you want to move russ okay how many first do you want to kick in what are you going to give us in order to get us to take him however if the lakers are from a, are looking at a situation saying you know we wouldn't mind some flexibility but we don't have to do anything lebron russ ad they figured some stuff out down the stretch and we think it's going to work out next season we don't have to do anything. That's dealing from a much stronger position than, oh my gosh, we have to get rid of this guy. It's never going to work. And I think that is part of what hindered the Lakers trade deadline negotiations is everybody saw the Lakers as this desperate team. So on multiple levels, it's really important that the Lakers figure this out right now. Now, part of the equation as well is Frank Vogel finally taking the gloves off and benching Russell Westbrook when he's not doing what the team needs him to do out there on the floor? There has been some kind of rumbling that maybe within the Lakers organization, there's thoughts that, you know what, we haven't really coached Russell Westbrook the way he needs to be coached this season. And maybe you can say that's an indictment of Frank Vogel. Maybe he didn't have the authority to do this from the front office. But now we know, now that he's done it multiple times, now we know if Russ is not doing the things that Vogel's expecting him to do, there's a seat waiting for him on the bench. Perhaps that's what it's going to take for Russell Westbrook to truly change his game and truly adapt to what he needs to do in order to be successful on this team. Now, it's not all on Russ. You can also point to Coach Vogel and what he needs to do in order to get the best out of Russell Westbrook, both in terms of being willing to bench him and in terms of scheme-wise, making sure that he does fit in with the groups that he's on the floor with. That's certainly important as well. But if you are now in a situation where Russell Westbrook knows he is getting benched if he doesn't do the things that he is needed to do, well, maybe that is the key to getting the best out of him. I don't know. We've talked about this a lot. We've talked about how certain players, star level players, when they aren't quite that, when they start to drop down a tier or two or maybe more, sometimes it takes hitting that rock bottom 
for them to finally understand what it is that they have to do and understand that the guy they used to be simply isn't there. And I don't know if we can make that argument about Russell Westbrook. We've seen him explode. We've seen the 35-point game against the Charlotte Hornets. We've seen some nice moments from him, but not quite like he used to be. So the question is, Dwight Howard was on the cusp of being out of the NBA, right? It was adapt or you are no longer in this league. You do all the dirty work. You don't demand post-ups anymore. You got to block shots for us. You got to set screens. You got to do all that stuff. Otherwise, there's no place for you in this league. Carmelo Anthony was out of the NBA, had to prove to teams that he was going to be okay with the offense not running through him anymore. You are now a floor spacer. You are now just standing behind the three-point line, and you're going to knock those in at a high percentage, and you're going to compete on the defensive end of the floor. Those are the things that these guys had to do. Vince Carter went through a similar transformation where he had to make that adjustment to now being a role player. Might this finally benching Russell Westbrook, sitting him down when he's not doing what you need him to do, might that finally get Russ to make the adjustments necessary to fit a different role on this Lakers team. And fingers crossed, that's what the Lakers front office is hoping for at this moment, to both help them win games right now, but also help them in the offseason if and when they decide to put him on the trade block. Now, I know that's a lot about Russ, and there's a lot of factors here. We're going to have to see how things play out down the stretch. But just like I've said with Taylor Horton Tucker, where you need a strong finish for him for the same reasons. You need a strong finish both to help you win games right now and to increase his trade value during the summer. Same thing with Russell Westbrook. Frankly, the Lakers are going to have a tough time leverage-wise, from a leverage perspective, if you get a bad Russell Westbrook performance down the stretch here after the All-Star break and especially in the play-in tournament, perhaps in the playoffs as well. You need a solid performance out of him. You need him finally figuring things out. And perhaps the only way that you're going to get that is Frank Vogel finally being empowered to bench Russell Westbrook. And we'll see what comes out of this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. I do want to talk a little bit about some other things that are going on with the Lakers right now. Specifically, a rumor that came out regarding Dennis Schroeder and the Lakers. Now, as of right now, Schroeder is a Houston Rocket. He actually played for them. I don't know if he's actually getting bought out. This has been a big rumor was that if Schroeder gets bought out, the Lakers would be one of the teams that would be interested in him. Now, we know that they're also interested in Goran Dragic. I've talked about this for a while. I've said that I think the Lakers should target some of the younger guys 
on the buyout market because number one, you're more likely to actually get those guys than a guy like a Dragic who's probably going to ring chase. He's going to, and he should, don't get me wrong, 35 years old, he should jump at an opportunity to win a championship. He should go to a team like in Milwaukee, uh, his old friends in Miami, somebody like that. That's probably where he's going to land. But the Lakers are one of the teams that's in the mix. Schroeder's another guy who they are rumored to be interested in if he gets bought out. Now, again, I've said I think the Lakers should go after some younger players on the market, diamonds in the rough, a la, say, a Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves, players like that, because those are the guys you've had success with this year. But for the Lakers and Dennis Schroeder, the Lakers tried to trade for him at the deadline, and I think this is kind of important. I don't know how much of this is the Lakers really want Dennis Schroeder compared to how much of it is the Lakers really wanted Dennis Schroeder's contract. It's a big difference here. So from Steve Bullpet of Heavy.com said, the Lakers offered a pair of second round picks and expiring contracts for Schroeder. Okay, so plural, expiring contracts. So think about that. The Lakers are going to the Boston Celtics and offering not just one contract, but multiple contracts for Dennis Schroeder, who's on an expiring mini mid-level exception deal, taxpayer mid-level. That's what he wound up getting. The market dried up and he was left with no options, really. He wound up signing on a cheap deal with the Boston Celtics. The Celtics ultimately moved him to the Houston Rockets in exchange for taking Daniel Tice from them. I still think the Celtics should have got something in that trade. They absorbed a lot of salary there, but they like Daniel Tice, so whatever. The Lakers, in the Schroeder deal with the Celtics, the reason why they were attaching the second-round picks is because what they wanted to do was free up roster spots. This was about trading away multiple guys, perhaps you know, like a DeAndre Jordan, Kent Bazemore, for Dennis Schroeder. So they're all expiring contracts. They're all done at the end of the year. So as far as that goes, dipping into future cap space, Nothing happens. It doesn't change anything for you. But what it does is you clear a couple of spots off your books. Now, the Celtics went the other way. The Celtics said, uh, we would prefer to clear roster spots ourselves. So they packaged a few players with Dennis Schroeder and traded them for just one guy in Daniel Tice. So that opened up some roster spots for them. But that's the type of move the Lakers were trying to make. They were trying to make a move for Dennis Schroeder, not necessarily just for Schroeder. I do think that they believe that he would have helped specifically because Kendrick Nunn has been out all year and now he's not going to be back until the end of March. I think they could see where having another true point guard on the team that can handle the ball might have helped them a little bit. And I know there's a history there with Dennis Schroeder. Trust me, I understand that. But I think what the Lakers were going for was ultimately to clear up roster spots. So if Schroeder does ultimately get bought out by the Houston Rockets, I wouldn't just assume that he's a lock to become a Laker. I think that a big part of their interest in him was about freeing up those roster spots and using his expiring contract to prevent them from taking on any deals that go into next year. I think that was a big piece to this. But as it is right now, the rumors are going around that the Houston Rockets are actually not buying him out. So it may not end up mattering, but just something to keep in mind now that we got that little tidbit that the Lakers were actually trying to send out multiple contracts. They're using second round picks to do it. It makes a bit more sense, connect some of the pieces in terms of why the Lakers actually wanted Dennis Schroeder. All right. I do need to talk about Lakers versus Jazz, which is tonight. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, as much as we want to break down the X's and O's of this game, it's a weird game. It's going to be a weird game because it's the last game before the All-Star break. Weird stuff tends to happen in these games. So as much as we want to say, oh, well, this team tends to score at this rate and this team has this kind of defensive rating and this team plays at this pace and all this stuff. The problem is you get 
spring break mentality, right? That's essentially what it is. Coming from an education background, I can tell you that week before spring break, you've got kids who act a lot differently than they do during the rest of the year because everybody's looking ahead to being out on vacation, right? You've got a lot of guys like LeBron's going to go to the all-star game, obviously, but for a lot of guys, this is an opportunity for them to finally, after a long grueling season, take a little bit of time away from basketball, recharge the batteries, go on a little vacation. And naturally guys are going to be looking ahead to that. So the biggest factor of this game, it's not even so much the X's and O's or any of that kind of stuff. It's which team is going to be focused. The Utah Jazz have won six in a row. The Lakers have lost three in a row. But which team is going to be locked in on winning this game and not letting the sort of trap game mentality of getting ready to head out towards a vacation, towards a rest, whatever it is they're going to do, get to them. Not letting that stop them from competing at a high level on the floor. That's, that's the biggest key to winning this game against the Jazz. Now, in terms of the standings, the Lakers sitting in the ninth seed right now. Again, the Clippers did lose tonight. So as of this moment, the Lakers are a game and a half behind the Clippers in the standings, the Clippers in the eighth seed, the Lakers in the ninth seed. And so a win against the Utah Jazz would pull them just one game back of the Clippers. They do still have some games coming up against the Clippers. And they do still have two more games on the schedule against the Clippers. In fact, their first game back from the All-Star break is against the Clippers. Why does this matter? I know when we look at the Lakers and we think, ah, oh, well, they're in the play-in tournament. Who cares? Eight seed, nine seed, whatever. It's actually a very big difference. If the Lakers can move up to the eight seed, what that means is that they only have to win one game to get into officially into the playoffs. If they are the nine seed or the 10 seed, you have to win two games in a row to get in. Again, I'll go over it real quick. The way it works is the seven seed and the eight seed are going to play. Whichever team wins becomes the seven seed. Boom, you're in the playoffs. Then the nine seed and the 10 seed play. Whichever team loses, they're out. They're done. Goodbye, you're going home. Whichever team wins gets to play the loser of the seven versus eight game. And whichever team wins that one becomes the eight seed. So again, if you are the Lakers and you're currently sitting in the nine seed, you want to move up to at least eighth to make sure that you only have to win one game rather than having to win two. So it is pretty important and this race between the Lakers and the Clippers is certainly going to be one to keep an eye on. So a win against the Utah Jazz absolutely matters, but are the Lakers going to be focused on that? Now, I thought the Lakers actually played very well in their last game against the Golden State Warriors. LeBron had talked how before the trade deadline, they were playing in this fog and how the trade deadline talks were really getting to them. I still think that shouldn't have been a factor on a veteran team, but apparently it was. Frank Vogel talked about a new renewed energy and sure enough, we saw it on the floor. Yes, LeBron James made some mistakes in the fourth quarter. Anthony Davis did as well. I know a lot of fans were frustrated with that, but overall as a team, I felt like they played a lot harder, played with a lot more energy, and we saw a lot more success for the players around LeBron James and Anthony Davis than we've seen for pretty much the entire season. So that's going to be key. Can they make that a consistent thing? playing with that kind of energy, playing with the kind of, tense, kind of intensity that frankly is just needed to win NBA basketball games. Can you do that against the Utah Jazz? Now, assuming they've got Rudy Gobert out there, we're probably going to see some Dwight Howard in this game as well. Haven't seen him much lately. He's been dealing with injuries, but you're going to need him against a guy like Gobert. A lot of this, there's going to be some strain on the Lakers defense. It's going to be really important that they get out and cover guys. Stanley Johnson, blew up the last time the Lakers played the Jazz. Actually, it was a really big win mid-January. The Lakers were able to beat the Jazz. It was kind of the moment 
where it just cemented that Stanley Johnson is going to be a Laker for the rest of the season, that he's going to get a contract. He was phenomenal in that game. So can the Lakers bring back that energy and stop the Jazz six-game winning streak? It's going to take, just like against the Warriors, it's going to take everybody chipping in and hopefully a better shooting performance from both LeBron James and Anthony Davis in this one. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on Russell Westbrook. Can he perform the way he did against the Golden State Warriors? Can we start to see this better version of Russ consistently? And, of course, Taylor Horton Tucker as well. He's quietly shooting 47% from the field and 47% from three in the month of February. Now, that's a small sample size. It's only six games. But still, can he continue shooting well and can he be a contributor out there for the Lakers. That's another thing to keep an eye on in this one. But again, like I said, it's weird circumstances. There's a lot of teams who come into this game and just don't have the focus necessary. So you get some kind of funky scores out there around the NBA right around this time. So the biggest, most important thing is which team can maintain their focus and not get too into where they are going after this game ends and can the Lakers get that win that they so desperately need again they're on a three-game losing streak hopefully they don't make it four all right I did say I had some sentimental stuff that I need to get into here at the end um, and I, I put it at the end because let's face it if you're still watching at this point we're about 30 minutes into this show just about right now so that means that you are definitely one of the real ones you're one of our fans that likes to watch the entire show you stick with us through the uh, through it all you know, in doing this show, it's been a long time. I've honestly lost track. I've honestly lost track of how long that I've been doing this show for. It started as the Lakers Nation podcast. It eventually evolved into the post-game show. Now we've got both. We've got the podcast. We've got the post-game show. Now we've got all the videos on YouTube that are going up there all the time. This has gone from being something I was doing on the side while I was a teacher to now it's it's something that I'm doing full-time. Now this is this is what I do in addition to other, you know, the front office show and a lot of other things, but somewhere along the way, I, I can get wrapped up in every, in, in the day-to-day -day of it, which can sometimes be overwhelming. I mean, look at last week with the trade deadline, how many rumors were there that were out there? And I'm on top of all of them. I literally was recording stuff at three in the morning because something would, would come out going off very little sleep. That's just kind of the way it is in this industry during that time of year. And sometimes I can get so focused on that stuff that I lose sight of what it means on the other side of it. And I'm talking about everybody that's out there listening, everybody that's out there watching and what it can mean for people, because this is what really brought me into this. And this is the, the side of it that got me into teaching as well. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's bringing people together. It's bringing people together and helping people out and being able to communicate. You know, when we first started doing the post-game shows, it really kind of turned into like giant group therapy sessions because it was during a terrible season that we started doing the post-game shows and people were coming in and venting and we've been doing a lot of that this season as well. But there's an effect of community where people can lean on each other. People supported each other. I've said it a bunch of times, but after Kobe passed, my my favorite aspect of that, and I feel weird even using the word favorite, but I guess the silver lining was the way the community came together. And I got to tell you guys, I got a message from somebody um, on Twitter just uh, earlier today um, thanking me, thanking the Lakers Nation staff for the shows, for the content that we put out because of the way it helped them get through the passing of their father. They mentioned that they were watching the show the day before it happened. They watched it the day after they were, that was giving them a break from the other things that were going on in their life. And it's one of the, the nicest messages that anyone's ever written me regarding this show and really, really touched me. I'm not gonna lie. I teared up reading it. Um, sometimes I get wrapped up in all of the day-to-day -day that is doing this, doing all this stuff that that I do, and I can lose sight of that. And it's nice to get those reminders of the fact that this really is Lakers Nation. This is a community where we're here to support each other, and we are all connected. We're all connected through shared experience. We're all watching these games. A lot of us are, you know, living and dying with everything that this team does. We experience the frustration together. We also experience the joy together, celebrations, winning a championship, all of that sort of stuff. And it just blows me away that as much as I can get focused on the X's and O's and the analysis and this news story is breaking and this is what it means for the Lakers and breaking everything down that people can get so into this and, and can get involved in this and can feel so connected to this that it can actually help them in moments in their lives. And that, that is completely humbling to me and blows me away. And, and I just, I, I can't believe it. And it's so much more important than any of the sports stuff, any of the basketball stuff that we actually talk about that sense of community, bringing people together through this sport is what really ultimately matters so again i got that message and i was just so so shocked and and surprised by what i was reading that i wanted to make sure that i shared it with all of you so you guys understand where i'm coming from as well and understand that this is more this show it's more than just breaking down everything that the lakers do yes that's what we do on the surface but really it's about lakers nation it's about all of us it's about community. And in that note, I, I appreciate all of you. I appreciate everybody who has come along and watched these shows and listened to these shows and allowed me to do what I do. And I appreciate all of you who have supported each other through difficult times, through connections that you've made from this craziness that is Lakers fandom. All right. I told you guys, I told you guys I was going to get a little bit sentimental here at the end, but Again, I appreciate all of you. Thank you guys for following along with us. Thank you for subscribing right here to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, to following us over on the podcast as well. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.